You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Most Likely to Read. We are your hosts, Mika and Ashley, and today we're going to discuss what we find most interesting about To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. To Kill a Mockingbird follows Scout and her brother Jim as they grow up in Maycomb, Alabama during the Great Depression. The novel navigates all of the idiosyncrasies and harsh realities of the South, especially since their father Atticus is a lawyer. The Pulitzer Prize-winning novel is one of the most widely read books in the United States, having sold over 30 million copies, and it's been translated into 40 different languages. It is an English teacher favorite, but there are some pitfalls to teaching the novel as well. We will discuss those as we look at the things we found most interesting about To Kill a Mockingbird today. But first, we want to start something new, and we're going to start off by telling you our personal experiences with how we read the books that we're going to cover on this list, because some of them are books that we've reread. Some of them are books that we've never encountered before. So we want you to have some background knowledge as to how that impacts our way of thinking. Okay, so the first time I read this, I was in high school. My teacher adored this book, and that adoration translated into a first read for me that highlighted all the good things about the novel and glossed over all the unfavorable things about the novel. Fast forward however many years later, we don't need to focus on the specific number, and now I can't read it without focusing on some of those unfavorable things. I do love Harper Lee's writing, her charming depiction of growing up in a small southern town, and all of her characters that she creates in her novel. Atticus is probably one of my favorites, but there are some aspects of the novel that make the 2021 version of me kind of uncomfortable. The use of certain and specific language along with certain attitudes that the book attempts to address, as well as beliefs about characters and their actions are just a few of the things that make, 20, that make the 2021 me kind of uncomfortable. Don't worry, we will address all of those things throughout the podcast so we won't leave you hanging in that regard. And don't get me wrong, it isn't that I don't like the book. There are things about it that I love. I just have some issues with certain aspects of it, and I think these aspects deserve a discussion and a consideration for how teachers will address these things in the eighth grade ELA classroom. And so my first read was very different from yours. I read it in high school but we were required to read it outside of class and answer questions as we read and then take quizzes when we came to class. And there was no discussion, no context provided, and no reason why we were reading it other than it was a classic and this is what you read. So like any good student, I did the work, I got the A's and I didn't learn anything about the novel. But when they released Harper Lee's follow-up novel, Ghost Set a Watchman in 2015, and I found out Reese Witherspoon, was the one who was narrating it on Audible. I really wanted to listen, but I felt like I couldn't do that unless I gave To Kill a Mockingbird a second chance. So then I listened to it on Audible and I thoroughly enjoyed it because Sissy Spacek just like whisked me away and set me in the middle of Macomb County with her very Southern accent. And I think that's kind of funny because you had some issues with Sissy Spacek, didn't you? Yes, I did. 
I couldn't handle it. I just wanted her to hurry up and get on with the story. And it just, I just couldn't do it. But I think that's important about Audible because sometimes that you just don't like the narrator and that's okay. That didn't impact the story for me necessarily. I ended up just stopping the Audible version and I just finished reading, actual reading it. Um, but yeah, I didn't, Sissy and I did not get along very well. Meanwhile, we got along great. And all I wanted to do was talk about the book. And lucky for me, my daughter had to read it for school. So we listened to it together so I could answer any of the questions that she had and help her with the context of the story. So all the teachers out there, like, calm down and take a breath. I did make her physically read the book. She had to do that for class. But listening to it really helped like prepare her for what she was going to read. She didn't stumble on character names or places and she could just pay attention to the content. So I think that is an added layer that we don't often consider. Okay. So Ashley, before we talk about the things we found most interesting about To Kill a Mockingbird, let's talk about the real story of TCAM, which is the story about the family and really a coming of age story. Uh, in this novel, we see the story about Atticus teaching Jem and Scout about the realities of life in the South in the 1930s, a South that was difficult for them, the Finch family, in many ways. So first of all, you have Atticus as a single dad. Now granted, he has the help of several very strong women in raising his children, namely Cal and his sister. But he also has kind of the village too, like with Miss Maudie. He and does. Everybody's kind of watching out and helping him. He does. Um, but he's raising two very strong children. Uh, there's also some gender issues that come up when there weren't really gender issues. You have Scout, who's a, definitely a tomboy, learning about what her role in society will be and not having a very easy time accepting it, especially towards the end. I... I love Scout for so many reasons. Uh, one of the ones is she thinks that she can just punch anybody in the face and yes. solve problems. And I think the other great thing was when she had to wear a dress and get all dolled up. And Miss Maudie, the neighbor, yelled from across the street, where are your britches at, Scout? And she said, underneath my dress. And then, of course, you have the huge societal injustices, the prejudice and race issues in the South that come through in the novel. We will address the prejudice and race issues throughout our talk today. Um, that's that's a, an issue that kind of runs throughout the whole novel in the background at some times and in the forefront at others. Uh, one of the things that I love about To Kill a Mockingbird is how Harper Lee uses the setting of the South almost as a character. The language, dialect, description of the town and its inhabitants, it comes to life as the novel unfolds and plays a central role in the action of the novel, and not just because of the historical context. The town of Maycomb has a personality all its own, and I think people who grew up in or have ever lived in a small southern town will understand what I mean. I grew up in a small town, and it definitely had a personality of its own. I thought I grew up in a small town when North Lakeland was actually small and there was still space up there. And then my parents decided that they should move to Georgia. And there's no internet up there, you guys. It gives small town a whole new feeling. There's seven or eight people at the church. And if you roll into town, everybody knows you're coming. And that's one of the things that really helped my daughter visualize 
Macomb County too, was because she had that experience because she stays in the summer with my parents or grandparents um, a lot of the times. And so she gets to experience firsthand what it's like for everybody to know your business. And it is not the same as growing up in a not small town. Definitely not. So Ashley, uh, let's play the character game again, the same one that we played for Pride and Prejudice. Who was your most well-developed character? My most well-developed has to be Scout. It's obvious, right? Just as the novel progresses, you can see how she develops more of an understanding of all the issues and lessons that Atticus and the world around her is trying to teach her. And I also just love how you can see her grow like from a tomboy because she starts school and then goes up through the grades, you know, moving along as she kind of progresses with it. And so she's moving from a tomboy to a lady, but she is so hot-headed. It just adds a like a, a much needed layer of humor, I think. It definitely does. Mine is also Scout. Um, and for the, pretty much the same reasons you said, she develops throughout the novel, but you get a clear sense of her, even right from the beginning. Uh, she does change, but you know who she is even from the very first page. And she plays such an important role in the novel. Without her, there is no To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, so who is your least developed character? Okay, this this game, I think, was easier with Pride and Prejudice. But for least developed, I'm going to say Calpurnia. And I know she's not a main character, so no one needs to yell at me. But I think she plays such a pivotal role in raising the Finch children. and she's treated with respect by the family and she's such a unique character. She's one of the few black residents who is literate and she's the one who taught Scout how to write in cursive, which then translates to Scout telling her teacher that she's not teaching correctly. Again, another wonderful moment of the book. And Calpurnia also, also taught her own son how to read. So she kind of leads like this double life. The one that she has at the Finch house when she's raising the kids and then the one that she lives in her own community. And Scout's the one that actually brings that up. She's the one who notices a difference in the way Calpurnia speaks at the, the two different places. So least developed for the purposes of, I just need more Cal in my life, I think. I would like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I This was hard for me. Um, I did think about Calpurnia, but for me, I think this character is actually Tom Robinson. So the book is about his trial and we know very little about Tom except for what a few white people in the novel say about him. This is one of my issues with To Kill a Mockingbird. Everything we know about the black characters in the text comes largely from white characters in the text. I would like to know more about Tom as a character since his trial plays such an integral role in the novel as a whole, including one of the messages that Harper Lee was trying to convey about racism and prejudice in the South. That's kind of like the danger of a single story though. And she's white. So we've got one, I mean, one author, we have Harper Lee, who's telling the story, but she's telling it from her perspective. And she, how do you at that time, how do you in that time write from a different perspective? And did you even think that somebody thought about that back then? And I'm going to go with no. Um, but I think that's one of the things that teachers should really think about and consider addressing when they're teaching this novel now in 2021. So like I said earlier, this is my 2021 version of my uh, thoughts about this novel. So 
I think now thinking about it from that perspective, it's important to at least consider what is going on in here. And I think I found some good questions to help with that when we get to the teaching considerations. Okay, cool. cool. Okay. So the next one is your most sympathetic character. Because you told me I could define most sympathetic as how I wanted to. My initial reaction was going to be Tom Robinson for all the wrongs that were done and the way the case was handled and everything. But then I tried to go out a little further and think about this in a more, I guess, systemic way. Mm -hmm. And I would say that I have to be most sympathetic with Bob Yule's kids, not necessarily Mayella, <laughs> who's a liar and we know it, but it all boils down to how these kids are raised and where they live. So I, and I included supporting evidence and everything. So here we go. Uh, straight from the book, Atticus said the Yules had been the disgrace of Makem for three generations. None of them had done an honest day's work in his recollection. He said that some Christmas when he was getting rid of the tree, he would take me with him and show me where and how they lived. They were people, but they lived like animals. They can go to school anytime they want when they show the faintest symptom of wanting an education, said Atticus. And there are ways of keeping them in school by force, but it's silly to force people like the Yules into a new environment. And then they also state, every town the size of Maycomb had families like the Yules. No economic fluctuations changed their status. People like the Yules lived as guests of the county in prosperity, as well as in the depths of a depression. No truant officers could keep their numerous offspring in school. No public health officer could free them from congenital defects, various worms, and the diseases indigenous to filthy surroundings. That is not something the kids can help. That it, they are a product of their environment. And I think the cycle just continues. And that's why you have generations after generations of Yules and the whole mm -hmm. town, the whole town knows about the Yules. And you can almost hear it when you're, when you're reading it. I think everybody takes a big sigh and is like, oh, you're a Yule. <laughs> so my most sympathetic character is actually Calpurnia. Um, and some of the reasons are the same reasons that you mentioned in the previous question. She plays a pivotal role in raising Jim and Scout, but we don't know that much about her. It seems like she does lead two lives, the one at the Finch house and then the one at her own house in her own community, which we do get a glimpse of when, when she takes Jim and Scout to church with her. Uh, she does a lot to help Atticus, um, but she's denied the opportunity by his sister to take Scout to her house to show her how she lives. Um, Cal even has to help Atticus with the very unsettling business uh, when he has to go tell Helen Robinson that Tom is dead. Um, she tries to keep an eye on those wild children as best she can. Um, and I kind of picture Cal as the eye of the hurricane with the Finch household swirling all around her. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a really good. She's like, she's like that solid calming force in the middle, right? That can take care of business when she needs to, but all these, wild children are running around her doing God knows what. And you just made me think I'm, we're going to go off on a tangent here, but can we just talk about Aunt Alexandra? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about her. I know that her intentions are probably in the right place, but yeah, she's got, maybe she's got control issues. She's got a lot of issues <laughs> from that corset. Oh my God. Yeah. How many times do they talk about the corset? More than I 
cared to know about. Right. Like just in the middle of all of this angst and turmoil, mm -hmm. there's Aunt Alexandra. Yeah. And not in a funny way, mm -mm. just in a, she needs to be Get snatched. out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Like she, she, yeah. Okay. All right. So who's your most complicated character? Okay. My most complicated is Boo Radley. Mm. And I'm going to stick to my guns on this because, all right, what we know about Boo Radley is he got in trouble for running with a gang of boys when he was younger, right? So all the other boys got sent off to an industrial school, but his dad thought that was too embarrassing. So as part of his punishment, he had to live inside his house. So like house arrest for 15 years. Here's my problem. I need to know what happened in those 15 years. So if I let my imagination run wild, there's so many things that I think of. So I think of solitary confinement and we've seen plenty of movies and shows about what happens to prisoners in solitary confinement and kind of lose it. I thought about Castaway when Tom Hanks started yelling at Wilson. At the volleyball. Uh, and three hours that I will never get back. Then I think about like the man in the iron mask. I don't know. I don't know why, but just like you're like you're trapped because I feel like he's trapped in yeah. there, right? But he has his mom and his dad in there. Like, what is the interaction level with your family members? Did they just put you in a room and leave you? Was it like a padded room? What is there? Is there a window in there? What What do you have? Because at one point you stabbed your dad in the leg with a pair of scissors. Are they torturing you? I need to know what happened. And then I felt like, oh, he's going to, when his dad died, I was like, oh, he's going to come outside. That's like, what I thought too. The, you know, the windows to the world are going to open up and we're going to learn about him. No. no. The brother comes in and just acts like everything is good to go and just keeps on. I mean, the book does allude to the fact that his house offers him security that the outside world couldn't. But I just don't know how you get from that frame of reference when you were out running the streets as a young boy. And now the only place you feel safe is your house. And clearly he wants to have some kind of interaction because he leaves the tr the treats for right. Jem and Scout. And then he comes to their aid. Yes. Right. So clearly he doesn't want to be completely away from people all the time, I guess. There's something strange in that house, you guys. <laughs> Okay, so for me, the most complicated character is actually Atticus. Um, so he's a leader in the community, the local and state community. He's a lawyer. He's a single dad. He really does have a good heart, and he's trying to teach his children to be honest and open and look for the good in people. But there is a whole world going on around him that he has to navigate that is not these things, and he's constantly navigating that world. And I think maybe... Sometimes it kind of makes him play both sides, but he has to, right? So let's look at him through the eyes of the trial. The Black community of Makeham honors him because he tried to help Tom, but he ultimately fa he failed Tom. And I don't know if they ever thought that he could actually save Tom because of the system. But they appreciated him nonetheless. Correct. So then you have the white community of Makeham that harasses him and his family because he tried to help Tom, but they ultimately forgave him because the system persisted and Tom was punished. So there was no long-term harm or no foul. And, you know, I understand the historical time period and the context, but I, in my head, I'm always asking, could Atticus have done more? Is that why Jim seems to be riddled with guilt? Did he realize that his father could do more or was that Jim saying, I want to do more? 
Um, so I don't know the answers, but I do know that there was a whole lot going on around Atticus. And I think we need to examine him closely and talk about his role in all of this uh, as you read the book. And, you know, that just made me think of the part with the judge where there's actually another attorney in town that should have this case should have been assigned to. Right. But the judge hand picks Atticus. And that was not the norm because Atticus had much more important things to do. He was part of the legislature and everything else. So when you asked, could Atticus have done more? Did the judge almost make it so it gave Tom a chance by assigning Atticus the case? Did the judge feel like Tom would at least have a fair chance? Right. And that's what that's what Harper Lee writes. That's what she makes you believe. Um, but it just makes you question, like, what what could Atticus have done? Okay, so the last one, your candidate for a spinoff, either a prequel or a sequel. I'm going with Atticus. I mean, the man's 50 years old when the book starts, right? So he's already old. Scout and Jim are sometimes embarrassed because their dad is so old. And I just want to know more about his life before that. So how did he get to this belief system that he now holds? How did he, to the value system that he's trying to pass on to his children? Like what events in his life had to happen to make him who he is? I think we get the the, the middle of life Atticus and I want to know what influenced him. Yeah, I agree. I think that Atticus and his wife would make a good prequel. Uh, I also want to know more about Dill, especially considering something that I found out when I was researching that Dill may have actually been based on Truman Capote. So Harper Lee grew up in a small town in Alabama, not Maycomb, but Monroeville. And she was a tomboy like Scout. She had a brother like Jim. There was a Boo Radley type character that lived down the street from her. And she even had a Dill in her life when she was a child who was actually Truman Capote, another very famous Southern writer. Apparently, he spent his summers at his cousin's house, which was next door to her house, and they remained friends into adulthood, with many questioning if Capote had had anything to do with the writing of To Kill a Mockingbird, and then on the flip side, if Lee had anything to do with Capote's writing. So we will link that article in our story notes so you can read it, but it's really interesting, especially when you consider the possible connections to her real life growing up. Uh, so I want to know more about Dill. I feel like you just blew my mind. Yeah. Like you were holding on to that little tidbit of information. And it is interesting, though, because in the article, it says that she doesn't really claim that it's an autobiographical novel. Uh, but the the coincidences are just it's too much. Right. Like there's got to be some truth in that she wrote from her experience. But we'll link the article and you can decide. So love it, hate it, or fall somewhere in between. To Kill a Mockingbird is To Kill a Mockingbird. The book is the book is the book. And there are a lot of teaching considerations that we've contemplated over the past couple of weeks. And especially since this is moving to eighth grade, there's just so much that you have to take into consideration. So I think the best way for us to do this is kind of talk about the overarching things and then do some specific examples. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, one of the things that 
teachers need to consider before they plan for this novel is the historical context. And I know we sound like a broken record because every time we do one, we talk about how important the historical context is. But in in this case, it is very important. Um, I think students really need to understand what life was like during this time period in the 1930s during the Great Depression. And not only that, but also what life was like in the 1930s during the Great Depression in a small town in the South. Um, Ashley, you told me a story about your daughter and the telephone operator. Oh, so my daughter got stuck on what a telephone operator was. So back in the day, I know I don't have to tell you guys this, but back in the day, you when you picked up the phone, the telephone uh, telephone operator picked up and you told her who you wanted to call. So connect me to the doctor and it would connect you to the doctor. Uh, my child had such a hard time with that. What do you mean everybody's on the same phone line? Uh, these are things that she she doesn't know. And And I think it's important to understand that because in this small town in the South, it seems as if everybody's in everybody's business and they are, but it's because that's how it was. That's and, what it was like growing up and living in a small town. And you could pick up the phone and listen so if Atticus was calling the doctor about something, you could pick up your phone and hear what he's saying. And kids, kids don't know that. And that's not, I don't think that's one of the things that we necessarily focus on, but I think it's one of the things that could bring them into that yeah, time and, period. And you know, the kids running around like seemingly all day with no parental guidance, just doing whatever they wanted to do and getting into all kinds of trouble. I think that's another thing that probably needs to be explained. Like, that's what it was like. The kids went off and played and they got into some stuff, but the neighbors were watching. Everybody was watching everybody. And they came home when the lights came on and they also slept on the back porch. I got to get on, on that one too, because that was, that was something hard for her to wrap her head around. There wasn't air conditioning back then. And that seems obvious to us, but what did not seem obvious was the fact that you needed to move out of the house in the summertime to actually get enough air to sleep at night. The houses got super stuffy. So it was commonplace for the kids to sleep out on the porch at night. Yeah. And our kids today do not understand that. No. Um, so the second part of the historical context that probably needs to be addressed is what society was like at that time. And we've touched on it a little bit, but I wouldn't recommend just reading this cold without any discussion of what society was like, especially regarding race issues and prejudice. Um, that's a huge issue that's addressed in this novel. And if you don't kind of set that up, it might be a little jarring for some students. Absolutely. And there's there's so many instances, and I don't know if this is just Harper Lee's way of writing, but she kind of writes in a way that like ebbs and flows. So it kind of, it angers you. And then it kind of brings you back down a little bit like, oh, okay, it kind of smoothed out. Well, I think that's a good point because the writing actually reflects what maybe she was experiencing as a child and what she felt. Um, that also kind of goes to the language and sensitive content that's found within the novel. This novel has historically been taught in high school. Now it's recommended for eighth grade. And there are some uh, specific language pieces, um, especially the N-word that's repeated throughout that may need to be addressed as well as sensitive content. 
I mean, Tom Robinson is accused of raping someone. So those things are also must be considered prior to teaching. How will you address these topics in your eighth grade classroom? And they get into like the nuts and bolts of the rape situation at the trial. So down to the, his, he has part of his arm that's mangled. And so it was impossible for him to do X, Y, and Z. So they lay that all out for you and it does go into detail. So the kids have to be prepared for that. And I know because I sat there and I watched my daughter's face because we listened to this while we were driving to Georgia. And so I could see her in the rearview mirror and I could see her face just morphing every time something bad happened or something sad happened and I could see the reaction. And FYI, if you don't tell the girls ahead of time about why they are there are no women on the jury, you're setting yourself yeah. up for an argument. I didn't do that. I didn't even think about it. But that was one of the first questions. Why isn't there a woman on the jury? And then shortly thereafter, one of the men in the book makes a comment that if they let women on the jury, the juries would last for days because women would just talk for days. So that was a very fun feminist moment in the vehicle. (laughs) And the last thing uh, in terms of these larger topics for teaching considerations, um, I would encourage you to check out uh, a website. It's called Disrupt Text. And they actually did uh, a discussion on Twitter that you can read through. And they also have some notes about disrupting To Kill a Mockingbird, just to give you a different perspective on the the novel itself. And we'll link that to the website and put that on Twitter and everything so you guys can access that. And so that brings us to some more like concrete examples from the book. All right. So one of the themes going throughout is that you have to stand up to injustice, even if it's unpopular, even if it's difficult. That's what Atticus is constantly preaching to Scout, right? And one of my favorite parts is when they're all down at the courthouse and all the men have gathered from the town because they want Tom Robinson and the Finch kids show up after being told not to come down there. And Atticus tries his best to send them home and they refuse. And then I'm just going to play you a clip. This is actually from the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. But it is Scout talking to Mr. Cunningham. And just to set this up, she had Walter Cunningham had dinner at their house one day at school. And so now, you know, they're, they're good friends. So she's talking to Mr. Cunningham. Hey, Mr. Cunningham. I said, hey, Mr. Cunningham. How's your entanglement getting along? Don't you remember me, Mr. Cunningham? I'm Jean Louise Finch. You brought us some hickory nuts one early morning, remember? We had a talk. I went and got my daddy to come out and thank you. I go to school with your boy. I go to school with Walter. He's a nice boy. Tell him hey for me, won't you? You know something, Mr. Cunningham? Entailments are bad. Entailments. <coughs> I was just saying to Mr. Cunningham that entailments were bad, but not to worry. Takes a long time sometimes. What's the matter? I sure meant no harm, Mr. Cunningham. No harm taken, young lady. I'll tell Walter you said hey. Let's clear out of here. Let's go, boys. One of my favorite scout moments, like 
she just had to she had to open her mouth and when she did it was the sweetest thing with the best of intentions but got that whole mob just to stand down just by making them remember like hey you know like we're neighbors you know, my dad was there for you she diffused the situation as only an eight-year-old could do and i'm sorry but i just love the way that they call their dad atticus, atticus. <laughs> I, I just love that all right so that brings us to the service level characters plot line Blech. but what is it that you really want your students to learn and take away from this and so a few weeks ago i actually listened to a presentation from the usf stavro center and we send out emails and post those on schoology for you guys to sign up for so if you're ever interested make sure you check those out but they did a presentation about economics and to to kill a mockingbird and they had a wonderful teacher whose name is pamela novak and she shared her ideas about how to teach this novel and again i stress this is at the end of the book after they all had read it, she had students set up in these chat stations or groups, and each one had a different value. And it was one of four values, equality, choice, opportunity, or honesty. And the first thing that every group did was define their value or come to a consensus on what it meant. And then they had guiding questions to kind of steer their discussion so they could go deeper into what's really important about the book. So I just wanna share a couple of the questions with you because I think they're really impactful if you think about them. So the equality group had to think about how does equality or inequality in some instances affect certain characters in the story? And she had those characters listed out. And then the group with choice, how do choices made by certain characters in the book affect their lives? How could different choices made by the characters have altered their lives or the plot line of the story? How did so-and-so feel about something? Yeah. And you really get to examine character motivation, right? Like right. character motivation and then also their actions. That's, those are really good. And then I think these last two are my favorite and I just think they're good conversation pretty group, but the other value of opportunity. So which characters in the book seem to have the broadest range of opportunities in life and which ones seem to have the fewest opportunities? And for those whose opportunities are limited, what causes each of the characters to have those limited opportunities? And then what could be done and make them to offer more people more opportunities? And I just go back to the Yules, but that can impact so many characters in the book. Yeah, that's a good one. And then the final value that she taught was honesty. I say she taught, she didn't teach it. They discussed it. They had a lovely talk about this. In what way does honesty shape Makeham's view of the Cunningham family, the Yule family, or of Tom Robinson? And if Tom Robinson can be considered honest, what might be the relationship between honesty and inequality? And does honesty even matter? Mika, those are some heavy questions that I'm just going to let you live in for a minute and see how you feel about them. Yeah, I like those. That's a lot. But I feel like that ties back into this is more than the characters. This is more than a plot diagram. This is more than vocabulary. This is more than a history lesson. If you're talking about how do you teach values to your students, these values are like at the core of this novel and can be taught in a way that doesn't make everyone mad and upset and cause a ruckus. You can have these conversations. Yep. And now we were at superlative time. <laughs> Our favorite time of the episode. And since it can't be about whether Sissy Spacek is a good narrator for this story. She's not. She is. 
Ashley and I think the superlative that best fits To Kill a Mockingbird is most likely to make you want to read it again, pick it apart, and call your high school English teacher. Absolutely. All right, you guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of Most Likely to Read. Don't forget to check the website for all the resources that we mentioned today. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you get alerts when new episodes come out and follow us on Twitter to join the conversation at Most Likely to Read. Thank <laughs> you.